Dee, it's almost the most wonderful time of the year. Christmas? No, seed catalog season. Is your mailbox full yet? Pretty much. It is quite exciting. I can't wait to dive in with a pumpkin pie chaser. Oat milk and gluten-free, of course. (laughs) Seed catalogs with a pumpkin pie chaser? (laughs) Yeah. I guarantee no one has ever said that sentence in the history of all sentences. So before we go off on a deep end of sentences that nobody's ever said, why don't you get us started on this week's episode? Welcome to the Garden Angelus, where we talk about flowers, veggies, and all the best dirt. I am Dee Nash from Guthrie, Oklahoma, and I garden an acre and a half out of my seven and a half acres in the country. And I'm Carol Michael from Indianapolis, Indiana. I have a suburban garden measured in square feet. It's about a third of an acre. We call ourselves Garden Angelus because we are evangelists for gardening. We love gardening and we want you to love it too. Yes, we do. And we aren't afraid to spill the beans and tell all of our gardening secrets, the good, the bad, and even the ugly. But that's enough of who, what, when, where. Let's move on to this week's episode. Hello, Dee. Hey, Carol. How does your garden grow? Well, Dee, thanks for asking. We had some beautiful weather on Thursday and Friday. So I mowed up leaves and I covered the bases of the figs. Wow. Uh, probably, I probably need to cut them back a little bit, but that's all taken care of. I even cleaned out some leaves out of the gutter. Very careful on the ladder, of course. And then microgreens, all I can say about that is rinse and repeat. Love them microgreens. So in my garden, I was supposed to plant the bulbs outside. That did not happen because the two days that it was warm enough, it was windy because the wind was out of the south and it was getting ready to have a big cold front. That's one of my excuses. My other excuse is I had a big meeting at the Blessed Stanley Rother Shrine about trees. And we've been, that landscape is almost a year old now. Uh huh. And so they're working on a grant for trees and stuff like that. I am finding these projects I have right now to be really interesting, working on these commercial landscapes. I haven't ever done that before. So let's see. But I am busy with bringing in all of my pots of bulbs into my house because. I started them in the greenhouse, did some videos on them, which I haven't done any videos since because I've been really busy. But there you go. What's your favorite this week? So my favorite this week is when I was out there in the garden on Thursday, the Christmas roses are really blooming spectacularly this year. And I looked over and there was a bee on one of them. December the 7th, a bee. Yeah, bees will come out. If it's a warm day above 40 degrees, they're out there. But Christmas roses, by that, you mean Helleborus niger, right? That is correct. And I am on a quest to find them. And I I put this on one of my last blog posts to find them blooming. And I got to tell you another story real quick, but it's about my favorites. Sorry. So on on Wednesday, I was supposed to go live on Instagram with our friends, Sean and Allison McManus from Spoken Garden. Yeah. Did you not go? We couldn't get it connected. So we did a Zoom interview and then they were going to connect that to Instagram and they had trouble with that. So they're going to post that interview somewhere. And I said some charming and witty things, I will have to say, especially about hellebores. One of our friends thinks you are very charming and witty. Well, thank you. She told me so. Thank you. But anyway, so (laughs) I am am waiting for that video. They said they were going to post it somewhere. They have a... I don't know. Anyway, if it shows up, I'll put a link because I, I said nice things about hellebores and finding them. 
I love hellebores. And usually almost all of mine, I've got a couple of hellebores, Niger, but most of mine are hellebores hybrids. Most of mine are, except these these ones right by the patio are the Christmas roses because you don't have to go far, far into the garden to see them. So that's nice. <laughs> Always a good thing, right? In the winter. Exactly. So you want to hear my favorites? Of course sure. I do. Of course I do. It's my paper whites. They're up and they're growing and they're so fresh and green, the stems, and they just make me happy. So I brought them inside. And of course, Masha thinks that they're hers and I'm trying to entice her with a heated bed that Milo the Chonk got me to buy. I bought my cat a heated bed. Oh, dear God. I saw that on Instagram. Oh, I fell for it. Oh, gosh. (laughs) We'll okay. see if she even lies in it. She probably won't. Okay, so Masha now has a heated bed. Yeah, so maybe she'll leave my plants alone. Okay. I doubt it. All right, so <laughs> don't fall for this. So the other thing that they had on there is they have a cat litter box. I saw that, and I'm not buying that That will thing. track oh. all the potty habits of your cat, whether they- whether And wait. Number one, number two, all, and I'm like, oh, no, no, no. No, thank you. I'm not doing that. It's not like the cat is a plant or something. It's not like it's a plant. Right. Exactly. But I did buy Bill a heated blanket too, because Bill is always cold at night. And I saw on this lady's Instagram that she had this, it was, you could get it any size you wanted and we'll link to it. We'll put a link to Amazon. It's really pretty. And on one side, it looks like lamb, but it's not. And on the other side, it looks like fur, but it's not real fur, but it's heated also. And I put it on his side of the bed. So he'll quit stealing my covers. And you know what? It worked. (laughs) I was going to give it to him for Christmas, but it came in a box that said what it was. And he goes, what is this heated blanket? And I said, well, that would be your Christmas present. So Uh, there you go. So some of my favorites were not plant this this week, but I I have to do with plants. There you go. All right. Well, I'm going to do a quote and get us started in our flower topic, which is plant related. Okie doke. As I was wandering o'er the green, not knowing where I went. By chance, I saw a pleasant scene, the gar- the cottage of content. And we saw that on an antique plate featuring a cottage that was on Instagram, was that quote. And we just thought that was pretty. And I did search, and the author is unknown. So actually, it wasn't on Instagram. It was on Nancy's Daily Dish. And I sent it to you because I just thought it was really pretty. She sells transferware, and I subscribe to her. And then when I sent it to you, maybe it was on Instagram, but it's from Nancy's Daily Dish. All right. Well, and when I do the show anyway, notes, I'll try to find a link. We'll, we'll try. It's probably already sold out because it was so doggone darling. I almost bought it, but then I thought, no. Okay. Our flower this week, it was your idea. And we're going to revisit orchids. That's right. Because orchids, orchids are really, it's the something, what is it? You told me it was the something of the year, isn't it? A so National Garden Bureau said that orchid was the, I think it's the houseplant of the year for 20. I think it's houseplant. So, and and then it's going to tie into our book topic and it's going to tie into our vegetable topic. And it also ties into the fact that orchids, the philodenopsis ones, are wonderful this time of year and all the way through winter to have in your house because it is so doggone cold. And it's something you bring in, it blooms a long time, takes very little care. And I was just going to say, related to that, 
I have behind me another orchid, and we'll talk about the Phalaenopsis more in a minute. But I have behind me a jewel orchid, which I should have looked up the botanical name, but I didn't. But the jewel orchids are known for their foliage. And mine is like a maroon foliage with pink stripes in it. And it's beautiful. And it. Where'd you find that? At the grocery store. Really? You guys have the coolest stuff at your grocery stores. Okay. Do you want to know what the jewel orchid's sure. name is? Yeah. Ready? Ludicia discolor. As soon as you said it, I knew it. I knew it. I knew it. Ludicia discolor. But it it's that's because you're the smart one. Yeah. <laughs> it's grown for its foliage and it has small white flowers that appear in my case, usually in January, right after Christmas and everything. It's like the jewel orchid says, My turn. I want one. Of course I do. You should look for it at the grocery anyway, store. Keep going. You wouldn't. You, no, my grocery store will not have. Go to your new fancy one. Which one? I don't know. Don't you have a new fancy grocery store that just opened up near you? Oh, that's Crest. I wouldn't say it's fancy. Keep going. Okay. Well, let's talk about Phalaenopsis because you are going to find Phalaenopsis this time of year. Everywhere. The cheapest ones are at Trader Joe's. Probably. And I, I, might, I might have to drive up to Trader Joe's because they might have the Christmas roses. Anyway, best piece of advice ever is don't buy the blue one. It's fake. It is so fake. And they put stuff in the water that gets soaked up by the plant and then it makes blue and blue veining in it. It doesn't look pretty. But no. there's lots of natural colors that are beautiful. And Trader Joe's usually has more than anyone else. I also saw them at Sam's the other day. I see them various places. I mean, if you want to pay the big bucks, you can go here to your local nursery. They they have them way priced high, but they have a lot of variety. So it depends on what you want. I just want one that looks good. And I usually buy mine in January because then I've taken down all my Christmas stuff. My other stuff's starting to stop blooming. And I think, oh, I need an orchid. So I go and buy myself a couple of orchids. And yeah. are you going to tell about how to get them to rebloom? Yeah, I I surely am. The one that most people buy, let's just face it, is Phalaenopsis. Yeah. And what I tell people is the best way to get it to bloom is to give it cooler nighttime temperatures. 10 degrees. 10 degrees. Cooler. And so, yeah. Whereas a lot of times they say, don't put your houseplant right next to a window that gets cool, you know, cool at cool night. Cool at night. This one you want but, to. Yes, because the cool weather helps it to triggers it to go ahead and produce another bloom spike. And of course, when it finishes blooming, you need to cut off the old spike. It just looks ugly anyway. Yeah, cut off the old spike. Give it a good feed of foliar fertilizer, one made for orchids probably. And then, you know, water it occasionally. They don't need a lot of water. And I personally think you should pull them out of that yucky plastic cup after they bloom, you know how they always have the roots in like a little plastic cup inside yeah. the decorative thing. Mm -hmm. I pull yes. them out of there and then I put them in some real orchid soil, which is usually made of bark and moss. And then I put them in a container that has a drainage hole or more than one. And then, you know, it takes them about, I don't know, four months and then they'll rebloom. Or you can just toss it and go buy another one. I or you that. can go to Costco. They have these fake ones that look real. Wow. That's, yeah, that's really taking it to another level. But it's up to you. I let mine rebloom because I just go stick them in my bathroom 
uh-huh. after they're done. And I, you know, feed them once. Let, don't pay any attention to them, but water them every once in a while. All of a sudden, there's a bloom spike coming up. There you go. Now, National Garden Bureau has a very nice article kind of wrapping up the whole topic of orchids because when you start to collect orchids, you could get, end up, yeah. it's it's the largest plant genus, so or plant family, I should say. So people, you can just go knock yourselves out. I, I have two. I have the jewel <laughs> orchid, and then I have this other little one, and I about killed it. You talk for a minute. I'm going to turn around and get it. Okay. Well, I'll tell everybody where I saw the most beautiful display of orchids in the whole United States, and that was at Longwood Gardens. And I went with Yana over to the orchid room, and they have this little jewel box, and it it's like a greenhouse, and they have all these different types of orchids in it, and then they trade them out every other day. And so it's always fresh and always beautiful, and that's a great place to see them. Also, in Oklahoma City, if you go down to the Marriott Gardens, when they have the conservatory open, then it is. it also has a lot of orchids. So they do an orchid show every year. A lot of conservatories do because it's a great plant, great group of plants to display in the wintertime. Yeah, because, and there's, there's about an orchid society in every city. And I know in Indianapolis, there's an orchid society and they'll have a big show sometimes at Garfield Park and sometimes at our art museum in January, February, they have, a lot of orchids that they'll intermix through the museum and then they have a pop-up shop where you can buy them. And that's where I bought this little one. It's where is it? It's right here. It's oh, about dead. See, that is the smallest little thing I've ever seen. It's Angracium disticum. And I bought it in 2019. How did you almost and, kill it? Well, it's, I don't think I'm giving it quite enough water and there's two little dead branches here that I need to cut yeah. off. It looks but kind it's, of unhappy. It's it's not very happy. It's oh, tiny. It's a lot. It's like my neon philodendron that I did the video where it had it's, been eaten. It's it's not quite that bad. Well, maybe it is too that bad. Anyway, like a lot of orchids, this one you don't. It doesn't really get planted in soil. Although the jewel orchids can grow in soil. These are epiphytes, and so you have the orchid bark that you can buy a bag of orchid bark, and then you stick your plant in there. And to water it, you really soak that bark really, really good, and then it dries out, and then you soak it really good again. Mm -hmm. But you don't leave it in standing water. So no. you really, really run the water through it and then let it drain because it's an epiphyte. And so it's used to being in the crook of a tree, and then that when it's, you know, it hangs down, its roots hangs down, and so it just rushes through it. So right. that's how you take care of them. Right. And and orchids probably need more light than most people think because they they live in jungles and you think about them on the forest floors of jungles, but they're actually getting more light than you think. And they're some of them are up in the trees. And again, they're epiphytes, so they had they don't they cling to trees, they don't really grow in the soil. And as with most houseplants, overwatering is a good way to kill them. Yeah, so you don't overwater them. As is underwatering. Yeah, if you never water them, which, you know, I'm more guilty of that than the other. Anything else Anything about orchids? Fertilizing, you should use about half strength of what they say. Oh, and some people water them with distilled water. 
because of a couple of things. If you have fluoride in your water, it's not very good. If you have chlorine in your water, it's not very good. I have well water. And so I just water mine directly from the tap. But a lot of people I know who are big orchid people, they go and buy distilled water or distill it themselves. Anything else? Uh, yeah, I I just have, I have city water. So I generally take it. You water yours just regular? Yeah. I generally like have a watering can filled and it's set out for a while mm-hmm. and it's assuming like that makes it better. The dissipated. Yeah. And then I, that's yeah. what I fertilize it with. But I don't go buy special distilled water. Now, if I had a collection and. Yeah, this one lady I'm thinking of, she has a very expensive and, collection. You know, the orchid thief is about somebody who had an obsession with orchids or many people. Oh, yeah. And the thing you have to remember, though, is buy your orchids from reputable, reputable nurseries and greenhouses because you don't want to end up in the black market of illegally harvested orchids because you could be causing problems with the rainforest and other things yeah and it has enough problems exactly want me to do next quote yes out of the bosom of the air out of the cloud folds of her garments shaken over the woodlands brown and bare over the harvest fields forsaken silent and soft and slow distends the snow Henry Wadsworth Longfellow. We haven't really gotten any snow to speak of. We haven't gotten any either. They keep threatening it. And then I just laugh because I'm like, it isn't coming that far down yet. It'll be January. And I keep thinking, okay, last year at Christmas time, it was below zero and there was all kinds of snow on the ground. That was our big snow event. But so far. Well, you're in El Nino now. Yeah, so. so far. Different, a different winter so, so far. far. Okay, so our vegetables. Vegetable. It was plural in our notes, but it's only one vegetable. We are staying with our orchid theme, and we're going to talk about vanilla. And it's because I got a deal from Logies about how you can grow your own vanilla. And I giggled because I was like, it'll take a really long time. But yes, I guess you could <laughs> grow your own vanilla. I'm not going to grow my own vanilla, uh-huh. but I had, but then we started talking about vanilla pods, which that's an orchid it makes these long pods and the long pods become vanilla extract if you know how to make it or buy it. Right. And you said, I'm not going to make vanilla. And I said, Oh, I have. And you go, no way. And I said, yes. And so she wants me to talk about making vanilla. So Vanilla is from the orchid Vanilla planifolia, and it can be a vine that grows 100 feet in the wild. Obviously, the house plant you get will not be that. No. It's super easy to make vanilla. <clears throat> so literally, you go and buy vanilla pods, which you can find a lot of places, and they are quite pricey. Back when Amy, my best friend, and I did it, years and years ago, it was her idea, not mine, we went to a guy who was an herb He was an herb salesman. He had a little farm out in the middle of nowhere. Amy would find these things. And we bought vanilla pods. And then you can do one of two things. Some people take the vanilla pods and leave them whole and put them in 80 proof. It has to be 80 proof alcohol. And I would suggest that you use vodka, but you can also use bourbon because some people like bourbon vanilla. You can also use rum if you want to. When Amy and I did it, we just used vodka. 
and you literally pour it into a jar. We split our pods in half and then we just stuck them in the jar. And I want to say we, they were so expensive that we, and it was just a Mason jar and just a small Mason jar. Right. You know, you don't use much vanilla, use a teaspoon or two. If you're gluten-free baking, use two teaspoons because everybody puts more vanilla in gluten-free foods because the taste. So you just put them in there and you leave them for several months. Now, some people leave them whole. Some people scrape out the seeds. I don't do that. I just split my pods and stick them in there. So the point is, you're not going to decide this morning that you're going to get vanilla beans and make something this afternoon with your homemade extract. You got to plan out months and months in advance. Right. Because it takes, I don't know, I want to say it takes like, okay, so this lady, I have, I'm going to leave a recipe in our notes and this lady actually stores hers and she lets it go for at least, okay, so it can be ready to use. She says as little as eight weeks, but she said at least six months or longer for optimal flavor. I think we left ours for at least four to six months. I'm going to guess that you did. You know, I haven't made vanilla recently. I did it for I did it for several years. And then I don't know, I think that guy went out of business and at the time you you know, it wasn't easy to get the pods. Now you could get them really easily. They have them everywhere. Yeah, but like you said they're pricey and very. So I just buy natural vanilla. So and I'll tell you why I know this when we get to the book section. 90% of all vanilla sold is imitation. Okay, that's true, but I buy the good vanilla. I yeah. buy the ones that are real. And and the thing is, is when I was growing up, all the vanilla was imitation. Yes. All of it. And then over time, people started to demand real vanilla. So I buy mine at a baking store, and I don't use it very much. Right now, I have three little tiny containers of it, and I've had them forever. But if you want to make your own vanilla, it's not hard to do, and it makes a nice present. Yeah, and the thing is... If you want to buy a vanilla plant and get the beans yourself, it's going to, yeah, it's going to take, it's really not going to happen. I hate to be like somebody that is it really not going to happen. That's what I figured. Cause don't you have to like, I mean, isn't it kind of complicated? It's a little bit complicated and Logis has a lot of good information about growing the vanilla bean plants, they call it. And mm-hmm. they even show a flower. So you'll know what, it, when you see it, you'll know what it looks like. And it's lovely. It's a lovely yellow flower. Has to be pollinated. Uh-huh. They said it's challenging and rewarding. And so <laughs> one of the recommendations that I read was there's a variegated variety. So if you're going to grow the vanilla vine and try mm-hmm. to get some vanilla beans, you might as well grow the variegated one because then at least you have a pretty foliage plant to look at. Right. So we don't suggest you grow your own vanilla. I think it, I think it won't work. I, I mean, unless you just want to say, I grow vanilla, you know, I have this house plant. Well, you know, no, it, it you. might work, but let's, let's go ahead and talk about our book. Right. Cause you're going to explain some more of this. So you can do the quote and you read this book cause I didn't have it. All right. If a book, told you something when you were 15, it will tell it to you again when you're 50, though you may understand it so differently that it seems you're reading a whole new book. Ursula K. Le Guin. True. True. True that. Yes. So on our bookshelf. Orchid Muse, A History of Obsession in 15 Flowers by Erica Hanekel. 
And so I got this book because I participate in a garden book club that our friend Kathy Gents moved over to Zoom back in the day. Yeah. And kind of kept it over there. And so they just meet four times a year. And the book this time was this Orchid Muse, and she actually got the author to join us. Nice. And so the author lives up in, I think, northern Wisconsin, though she grew up in California, but she also went to the, I think, uh, Iowa State. And so she's been in the Midwest for 20 years and, you know, says she's not going back. But anyway, she's a historian. She's not going back to California. No, no. She's going to stay in the Midwest. I, you know, don't blame her. Okay, keep going. But she's a I his- like California, but I don't want to live there. She's a historian slash, and she's also a master gardener. And so she wrote this book, and there are 15 orchids that she picked out. And then there's a chapter on each one, and she tells fascinating histories. And so I'm about half through some of the histories, but I made sure to read the one she wrote about vanilla, the orchid. And it's complicated. Well, it's complicated. And then you find out some things like for the longest time, no one knew how to pollinate the vanilla flowers to get the pods to form so that they could have a vanilla plantation. And so on Madagascar or an island off Madagascar, I can't remember exactly which one, uh, a plantation owner who had slaves. There was a young slave who he trained in horticulture. And that young man at the age of like 12, figured out how to pollinate a vanilla flower. And so to the credit of the plantation owner, he gave credit to this young man. Well, that's unusual, but But, okay. But anyway, in the history of all (laughs) this, so the young, the the slaves were freed sometime in the 1800s, I think, Mm -hmm. but not prepared to live life on their own. And so he got into a bit of trouble, ended up in jail, but they kind of got him out of jail and stuff to give him a fresh start because they said, hey, this is the one who figured out how we're making all this money on the vanilla because he figured out how to pollinate the flowers. Really? Yes. And so that chapter is I wonder if he got any money off of- Oh, no. You know, of course not. They didn't share the wealth. Surely no. not. No. All right. And, and then you found out- Well, that's that- how I know that 90% of all vanilla is imitation. And it's still a fairly labor-intensive process to be a commercial- grower of vanilla, which is how I know you're unlikely to get something to flower at home, get it pollinated, get a pod produced and be able to go and, and, and sell that vanilla. So I went over to my baking cabinet because I thought I would look and see if my vanilla is real. And actually right now I not only have vanilla extract, but I also have a jar of Nielsen Massey's Madagascar bourbon plus pure vanilla bean paste, which I also like to use. We will put a link to this on Amazon. It is fabulous stuff. And I bought mine, I'm sure, from Williams Sonoma. It's probably where I bought it back when we had one, which I heard we're getting it back. So I'm really glad about that too. The one in the mall closed, but they're opening up in a new place in Oklahoma City. So my vanilla is actually real. Because I think that's important. But that was one chapter, right? That is one chapter. But there's chapters with all kinds of interesting information, all kinds of flowers. And so this is the perfect book. If you like history and you like flowers and gardening and orchids, she's she's got it all in there. And so I'm getting ready to read one about Jane Loudon, who wrote a lot of gardening books in England. 
We talked about her because I have one of her books. Yeah. And she is a wonderful writer. Right. Wonderful writer. But I'm getting ready to read cool. that chapter. So it's one of those books that you don't have to read it cover to cover. You can just pick it up and pick pick your orchid chapter. And she ends each chapter with cultivation information about the vanilla, like about vanilla, like how you would grow it. Yeah, I think they have to almost be hand pollinated. And so this is another one where if you want to be, I don't know how to put this, doing good for the world or whatever. This is another one where look for fair trade, yes. where the plantation owners or the people that are actually doing the growing are getting a lot of the profit. And so it's harder to source, but look for fair trade, the same as you would with coffee or one of those other things that are hand harvested. You know, it is hard to be a good person sometimes, right? In the in the world economy. I mean, because you're trying to do the right thing and then you go, oh, I've, I am not doing the right thing after all. Yeah, it's hard. Exactly. But I think anytime something says fair trade, that's good. I'm looking yeah. to see if mine does. Mine does not, but mine, yeah. It says non-GMO verified. And then it says gfcg.org. I don't know what that means. It has that tag. And it's also considered kosher. Very good. So anyway, that's Orchid Muse, A History of Obsession in 15 Flowers by Erica Hanekel. And it's wonderfully written. A lot of research went into it. And she she gave some backstory. And it's interesting sometimes when you're, she has a lot of photographs and stuff. Mm-hmm. And so she said the process of figuring out who owns the trademark to the photograph, who will give me permission oh, to publish yeah. the photograph. And so she said that there were a couple of them where somebody says, yeah, yeah, you can do that. When, but when she would get them to sign off on the the agreement, the they're release. like, yeah, they, they're like, well, you know, and so she realized she had the wrong entity and they just wanted oh. their name in the book or something. So, so that was, that was interesting too. So complicated. But anyway, she's done her homework, and this is a good book to get. Yes, I'm ready for another quote. I'm excited. I'm really excited about our next part. Okay, here's our quote. You want beauty, said Hercule Perrault. Beauty at any price. For me, it is truth. I want always truth. And that is from Agatha Christie's Halloween party. So I was scrolling and looking around, and we saw that there was that the movie A Haunting in Venice came out about, I don't know. I mean, it was out not very long at all. And it went to where you can stream it. And Bill and I rented and streamed it. And it was really good. I I guess it didn't, you know, none of these are doing very well at the box office, but, and critics aren't always so nice about it, but this was good. It was spooky and it was fun and it had to do with plants, which is why it's on our show. And I won't tell people how, and it was the book. It came from the book Halloween Party, but just really well done. I mean, Kenneth Branagh, of course, plays Hercule Poirot, and then they had lots of famous people playing the various parts. I recognized them from other shows, and I was like, "Oh, that's such and such from this show," and that's such. And I like looking those up when we are streaming at home. Well, I I've, I've tagged that to to watch someday soon. But I did look up Agatha Christie's Halloween Party, and boy, the critics didn't like that book. But And I, I don't know why they didn't like it. It's supposed to be set right after the war, World War II. And Hercule Perot is he is staying in Venice because he's sad. 
And you don't know why he's sad, but he's decided he is not going to be a detective anymore for whatever reason. And so that's where you go from there. And it was, it was fun. I thought it was fun, but I like Kenneth Branagh. So, yeah. So I watched every Hercule Poirot on Netflix when I first retired. And I'm trying to think if I would have, if they had done an episode with this in it, I don't know. I, I don't know. I did it. But went you right get to over go my to head. Venice. You get to go to Venice in this one, and that's fun. That is fun. Well, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, on your recommendation, I have tagged it to watch sometime soon. You should. You should watch it. Okay. And then you said, and more in keeping with the season, there is a tradition of planting wheatgrass on the feast of Saint Lucy, which is on December 13th. Why? It's apparently a custom in Hungary and other places mm-hmm. because the wheatgrass should be up and growing by Christmas. And it represents the 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 bread of Christ, the Eucharist. Oh, of course. Yeah. You know who does this? Sharon Lovejoy. I remember her doing this. Yeah. Of course it does. That'd be fun. Yes. But of course, I mean, I don't think wheatgrass is gluten-free because it is wheat. It's not gluten-free. But it's the kernel that has the gluten. But I'm allergic to wheat anyway. I found that out the other day. Oh, well. <laughs> so anyway... So that is the day this episode drops, December the 13th, is the day that you would traditionally plant wheatgrass because they said in about 12 days it would be up and growing. A lot of people will put it on their Christmas table as kind of a reminder. And uh, I would be curious if any of our listeners have ever done this or had ever heard of this. And enjoy it. I talked about that last week in the cat episode that a lot of people eat will plant wheatgrass for cats to eat. Yes, I remember that. And so somebody who buys a heated bed for their cat. Might plant them wheatgrass? Probably not. All right. So, so not this person. All right. Do the next well, one. The, well, oh, the way I found this out was True, True Leaf Seeds True Leaf had an Instagram good. post. Yeah. So, okay. So there you go. Here's the next quote. Or you can just plant wheat, like go to the store and buy some wheat and then plant it you can't buy wheat at the store you can buy wheatgrass seed you can buy are you going to buy kernels wheat seed can you just buy wheat kernels suppose yeah you can because people grind them for bread you're gonna have to go to a fancy place to buy that all right here's a quote that is the magic being alive is the magic being strong is the magic the magic is in me the magic is in me francis hodgson burnett the secret garden Okay, so I just looked up the wheat kernel part. And yes, each of those little kernels is a seed, like I yes. thought. And you can just go buy it like you would grind it for your own wheat flour. But instead of grinding it, you plant it. And I knew this because of Sharon. All right. Anyway, rabbit holes, your turn. You go first because mine's... Ugh. So since I started posting Lost Ladies of Garden Writing over on Substack, I've gotten three or four people that have emailed me and say, hey, have you heard of? Hey, have you heard of? So Mary, Mary Shear, Shire, Shear in Minnesota that we know, Mm -hmm. she sent me chasing after Daisy Thompson Abbott, who wrote The Northern Garden and The Indoor Gardener up there in St. Paul, Minnesota. And she, it's, it was a fascinating story, but she married an American doctor who was a captain in the army in World War One and then came over from England to St. Paul had to totally relearn how to garden because I bet talk about yeah different climates so anyway 
quite interesting. I went down that rabbit hole. I finished that rabbit hole. I posted it on the Substack along the way. And don't ask me how, because I, I think it's something that's not really in the public domain. I ran into American Gardener Magazine, 1980 issue. And I thought, well, this looks kind of old. And I thought, it's not that old. Yeah, it is. It's 50. <laughs> anyway, keep going. <laughs> but anyway, so I was looking at American Gardener, uh, an issue online, a PDF of it that's from 1980. And I'm thinking, how can this be that old? But anyway. That's when I graduated high school. I'm 61. <laughs> so that magazine is how old? Never yeah, mind. Really old. <laughs> anyway, I posted it on Substack so people can go out there and read about Daisy Thompson Abbott. Fascinating, fascinating. And uh, one more thing about it. You know, I've read a couple of books about World War One stories, yeah, historical fiction. Lots of them, actually. And yeah. Daisy Thompson Abbott would make a fascinating story because she didn't even get married until she was 35. Why don't you just make her your heroine of your next novel? I, I don't have a next novel. I don't have a novel at all. Well, your next book, but it could be a novel. You could do this. You could write a novel. I did. Well, anyway. It's not that hard. Okay. Anyway, Ooh, yeah, it's not that hard. How many it's of yours not. are published, D-Dash? No, only my gardening books published, but I wrote three novels. I almost got published, Carol. Writing the novel is probably not the hard part. Getting it published is probably a hard part. It was very hard. I almost got published and then, no, alas, I didn't. But that's okay. Who cares? Alas, alas. And so, alas, oh, D, the rabbit hole you are in that you never wanted to go down into. But I think you're going to help some listeners and some other people along the way. I do, too, because I think it's going to be a problem for other people. All right. So I'm still an alpha gal, but now in the removal process, I started with meat. Then I realized I am going to have to get rid of dairy. So I got rid of dairy. But then I started looking for all the hidden sources of mammal products. And there, I had no idea how many products have meat products in them. So this week, I went, when I wasn't at that meeting, I went and got rid of all of, I went through all of my beauty products, all of my makeup and lotions, creams, whatever. All of them had glycerin in them. And you can have vegan glycerin because it's made from vegetables, but you cannot have meat glycerin if you're reactive to it. And I'm apparently extremely reactive to all this stuff. I'm not one of those people that can just remove meat. And that makes sense. I mean, I had it for a long time and I didn't know. All right. So there's that. And then I gave a bunch of, just so people don't think I'm wasteful, I gave a bunch of my beauty products to Megan. Because she can use it. She hasn't been bitten by a tick. And then I gave my shampoo, which I discovered had both wheat and meat products in it. I gave that to Claire, my youngest daughter, because Megan has a gluten allergy. Claire does not. <sighs> Let's see what else. Oh, and then I found that. So I went through all of my, so all my lotions, all my makeup, everything, I went to vegan sources. And I was actually going to look up what my makeup was, but I can put that in our newsletter. I want to give a shout out to Ulta, my local Ulta, Second and Bryant and Edmund. Anna came in at just the moment I needed her to because I felt very overwhelmed because, and she knew her products and she knew what was vegan. And she took me over to a particular counter and we got some stuff so that my face quit itching. And then after that, I went back and bought hemp's for my like body wash and stuff, because 
most soaps have either glycerin or lard in them. It's complicated. All right. So there's that. And then I realized I was so excited because I bought this cute pair of house shoes. They were so cute. I ordered them online. They were handmade. They were my favorite kind and had a little heart on them. So cute. I put them on my feet and I thought, you know, these feel like wool. And then I took them off my feet and touched my face and my face started itching. And I went, these are wool. So I gave those to Claire too. The point of all this is not to feel sorry for me. I just want everybody, I'm going to actually do a video this week, maybe today, on this whole thing and how not so much for finding this stuff, but if you're feeling bad, go get tested. If you live in a wooded part of Oklahoma, Kansas, Arkansas, or Texas, because you could definitely have this because it's rampant if you look at the map. And I think that's it. Well, I was going to say... I I saw that Megan posted a story where you loaned her your car this last week Mm -hmm. and she was going through and she was laughing like, oh, you know, this chapstick and this lipstick and just beautiful hand cream. And, you know, she says, I'm going to take, I mean, try, I mean, you know. Yeah. And so it's kind of, it was funny, but the irony of it is you probably ended up giving her all that stuff. Yeah, because I gave her all my stuff and then she went back and looked in the car and actually the the super goop, the one lip balm that she was talking about that is the, what's the word? Sunscreen. That one does not have any animal products in it. So I keep so you that said one. hands off. Hands off that one. But she looked at the lotion and she goes, mom, this has meat glycerin in it. And you can look most, oh, and medications have it too. And also supplements. So it's a it's a rabbit hole that is hard to go down. But we'll also be talking in the spring about how to protect yourself from tick bites because that is essential. And it's just essential where we live now. Because if you don't get Lyme or Rocky Mountain spotted fever, you're going to get this. All right, that's it. What's your garden commission? So my garden commission is it's beginning to get closer to Christmas. Let us state the obvious for everybody. So I'm on the search for the waxed amaryllis bulbs for my great nieces and great nephews and Within the window of buying them, if they're not having grown very much, Um, I'd love to find a potted Christmas rose or two. Out in the garden, I pretty much have everything. I could go out on a nice day and kind of futz around a little bit, but most everything is ready to go for winter. How about you? (laughs) I need to plant those bulbs. That's all. (laughs) Yeah, you do. I do. I got to get them done, but I'll get them done. I'll get them done this week. I don't have too much to do this week. I'm actually meeting with a couple of people about alpha gal and that's it. Everything else is pretty calm this week. So the calm before the storm, as they say, as they say, as so. they say, let's wrap this up. Thank you for listening to the garden Angelus. I hope you've hit that subscribe button. So you don't miss a single episode. We publish every week on Wednesdays at 12 a.m. Eastern time. And if you listen to Apple podcasts, we appreciate a five-star review that helps us get noticed by others on that platform. Could you also share our podcast with your friends, not just your garden friends? We talk about lots of things. Word of mouth is still the best way to get the word out there. And be sure and check out our show notes for links for more information about today's topics, plus links to our own websites. And I would suggest that you subscribe to our Substack newsletter, The Garden Angelus at Substack.com, also linked to in our show notes. It's free. And you, if you do it, you'll get the link to listen to the podcast a whole day early. And if you want to help support us, use those affiliate links. If you buy something after clicking through on them, we earn a small commission and it costs you nothing. 
or you can set up a monthly subscription through Buzzsprout or make a one-time donation through PayPal. And we are grateful for those who have done that. We are. It was lovely to chat with all of you over the garden gate. Bye until next week. Bye, everybody.